Greetings in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We bless the Lord for this morning, even as we um, come together to hear his word um, and worship him in this way. Uh, may the Lord be honored as we draw near to him. Let me, um, I see Samson with Uncle Tom. Uh, it's been a while since we saw Samson. Samson is uh, Uncle Tom's son, and he lives in Zimbabwe. Um, and I'm sure he came to visit uh, for, uh, for a few weeks. Um, yeah, welcome him and get to, to know him, those who do not know him. Um, I see a new face there at the back. Uh, what's your name, sir? Chris. Uh, welcome, Chris. Uh, get to know Chris as well. Um, okay, uh, no, no, no new faces as well. No more. All right. Um, we continue with our series in James. Today we are in James chapter 3. We're looking at practical Christianity. James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. And um, the subject of today's sermon is taming the tongue. Taming the tongue. James chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Let us hear God's word as he speaks to us this morning as we read. I read from the ESV. This is God's word. Let us hear him. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that those who teach, that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to brittle his whole body. If we put bits into, into mouths of horses so that they, they um, obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the sheep also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a small, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea and sea creature can be tamed and, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's word. Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, uh, the prayer of our hearts is that you'll speak to us this morning. You'll draw us to yourself and open our minds to hear your truth, to receive your truth, to walk in your truth. Shape and fashion us in your likeness, O Lord, as we draw near to you in hearing your word. 
Give me clarity of speech, O Lord, clarity of thought, that your people may be served and blessed through the preaching of your word. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. A Greek philosopher by the name of Publius is reported as saying, I have often regretted my speech, never my silence. I have often regretted my speech, never my silence. This is a profound statement. In other words, what we say has profound effect on our hearers which means we should, we, we should biblically examine our words and see if they are words that honor God or words that are self-centered or self-serving. James in these 12 verses offers us a lens that helps us to examine our words. He has spoken briefly, remember, uh, about the impact of words in chapter 1, verse 19, when he, when he called us to be slow to speak right to be quick to hear and to be slow to to anger and again in verse 26 of chapter 1 he he says that the religion that is pure and undefiled before god is religion of uh, is, is is characterized by one who 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 bridle their tongue right now here he he goes into detail in these verses that we just read to help us think clearly and biblically about the subject of the tongue, which is representative of our words. What James wants to do here, he wants to show us the negative impact of the tongue, that in seeing, when we come to see the destructiveness of the tongue, we will seek to tame it in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to show you three things here three truths we should recognize in taming the tongue so that our speech may honor God. Three truths we should recognize in taming the tongue so that our speech may honor God. And I'm going to dive right into those three things. First of all, we recognize the importance of words. The importance of words. Look at verse 1 and 2 of chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able also to brittle his whole body. You see, when you read verses 1 and 2, you get the idea of what was happening that caused James to address the problem of the tongue. That there were people here who were appointing themselves to the office of teaching. The, the, the way James addresses the issue gives us the idea that it was not the privilege of teaching that they wanted, but they wanted the influence that came with it. They wanted the power that came with it. When people take up the role of teaching with the purpose of gaining popularity, it is not God that they want to serve, but it is themselves. Because the goal is not wanting to serve and to build up the church, but to gain popularity and influence. That is why James warns against this misplaced desire. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. 
he immediately answers why this is the case why we should not um, um, rush or, or jump to, to, to this role of, of being a teacher he says for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness right he underscores the importance of people who teach the word of God. The importance, not of people, I'm sorry, but of the, the, the act of teaching itself. Right? First, notice what he does here. He includes himself by saying, we. In other words, no one is exempt from this judgment of, of teaching. Everyone will be scrutinized before God. And this should steer up our hearts. Or, you know, it should stir up caution in, in our hearts when we handle the word of God, when we, when we approach the word of God. We must be very, very careful. Whether we teach on the pulpit, we teach on the streets, we teach in our homes or in various ministries, we must be careful the way we handle the word of God. And the point is that here, that we should we, we, we should desire to be well acquainted with the scriptures right when we hear what james james is saying here it, it, it doesn't mean we put our bibles away and say i don't want to teach it but what should happen in our hearts should be a desire to know the bible well to to read and study the bible to research well think about ezra Right in the Old Testament, Ezra chapter 7, verse 10, the Bible tells us about Ezra that for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Do, do you see that sequence? Right? He studied, he practiced, and he taught. What happens today, the problem with people today is that they skip the study. They ignore the practice and jump to the teaching which results in misleading people. Paul speaks about a group of individuals in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. These, these, these um, uh, individuals that he's talking about, he says they desired to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they were saying or the things about which they made confident assertions. Right? They desired, there was a desire to be a teacher of the law, but on the other hand, they have no understanding of what they are teaching. So you can see that there, were, there was no, um, that, that sequence was not there, right? There was no study, there was no practice, but there was a desire to teach. James explains further. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. The, the word stumble here refers to, to moral failure to do what is right, right? Christian, Christians do sin in many ways. And this truth is acknowledged in, in, in Scripture. When you look at the testimony of Scriptures, think about Proverbs chapter 20, verse, verse 9. It says, who can say I have made my heart pure? Who can say I am clean from my sin? Think about 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 again. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So what James is talking about, the, the propensity to, to sin, uh, uh, we, 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 must, we, we must think about that, that we, we, we stumble in many ways. 
right? And we should not rush into uh, this uh, office of wanting to be teachers. After showing us how we stumble in many ways, James zeroes in or zooms in into um, one sin that is oftentimes manifested. And this is the issue of, of the tongue. We sin oftentimes in our words. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to brittle his whole body. The idea here is not sinless perfection. Right? He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about maturity. Right? If anyone is able to bridle his body, if he does not stumble in what he says, he's a matured man. In other words, what James is showing us is that a sure sign of maturity is not seen in age or gray hair, but in our ability to use words wisely in a way that seeks to build and encourage rather than tear down. There are people who who bring joy by what they say. Right? They bring joy whenever they speak. People just want to hear them. On the other hand, there are people who bring joy when they are silent. People become happy when they keep quiet. Where do you fall? Which of these two people do you fall? Which, which, which group do you find yourself in? Are you one of those who when you speak, people uh, receive what you say kindly and, and well? Or are you one of those who speak, uh, who, who when you keep quiet, people say, Whew, at last, peace at last do you bring peace when you speak or do you bring peace when you keep quiet are people happier or helped when they hear you speak into their lives or when you keep quiet james james points that an, an inability to control your tongue also spreads into an inability to control other areas of your life it's, it's, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater, right? If you are, let me just do this example. In, in other words, if you are not faithful in, 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 in how you use 2,000 rents, we can't expect you to be faithful in using 200,000 rents, right? To, to show maturity, it starts with uh, the small thing, the tongue. And if you are able to control your tongue, it means that the other areas of your life as well will be controlled. So James, what he does, he develops this idea in the second point by showing us uh, the, 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 the second thing that we, the second truth we need to recognize in taming the tongue is that we should realize the power of the tongue. We should realize the power of the tongue. In other words, we should not undermine or, or underestimate the, the power of the tongue. We should come knowing the power of the tongue. And we see this in verses 3 to verse 8. One of the, 
the circular writers by the name of Jody Picoult in her, in her book, uh, it's called Salem Falls. She writes this, she says, words are like eggs dropped from great heights. You can, you can no more call them back than ignore the mess they leave when they fall. Does that make sense? Right? They are like eggs dropped from, from a great height. You cannot, you cannot ignore, you cannot call them back after you drop them. Right? And you, you also cannot ignore the mess that they leave after they have been dropped. In other words, words cannot be taken back. Right? This is a principle that we all know. Words cannot be taken back. We should be a caution, right, to, to what we say and how we say, how we say it, because it can cause great damage than we think, than we thought. James shows us the power of the smallest member of our bodies, the tongue. He, he uses three illustrations in, in, in these verses to demonstrate the power of the tongue. Notice in verses 3 and verse 4. He says this. He says, If we put bits, bits into the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the sheep also. They, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder whenever, wherever the wheel of the pilot directs. The first illustration that he gives to show the power of the tongue is, is, is the, the illustration of a horse, right? That a, a horse is able to be controlled by a small bit around its mouth. A horse is a very intimidating animal, right? It is larger, it is faster, and stronger than people. But it is interesting that though it is large, it can be controlled by a small bit, around its mouth to any direction the rider wishes it for, to, to go, right? I, I, I probably m many of you have, have ridden on horses. I've never done so, but um, on, on our side, that side of uh, um, Home Sweet Home, there are policemen who usually uh, pass by and they are on horses and, and you just look at that beast. It's big, it's, it's strong, and it, 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 it's intimidating. But yet they are riding it like, you know, it's nothing. They are turning it wherever they want to turn it, with a small bit just around its mouth. The, the second illustration that James uses here, he, he uses the illustration of sheep. He says, though they, they be so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, Wherever the pilot, the will of the pilot directs, ships are big, right? They are big. And radars are very small. Just think about a radar. Very small. Uh, one of the biggest ships, according to, to research, one of the biggest ships in the world is the U.S. aircraft carrier. Um, the name of the, the, the aircraft, the, the, the aircraft is, is, is um, USS Eisenhower. It weighs about uh, uh, 90 million kilograms. And it is nearly 300 me 350 meters in length, has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine, 
and a complement of 6,100 men and women and carries nearly 100 aircraft. It is vast. It is big. It is like a floating city. And yet all that weight, all that personnel and hardware are steered by a rudder just a tenth of one percent of the ship's size. Something so comparatively small is able to maneuver something so huge. Just a small rudder can steer that big intimidating ship wherever the, the pilot wanted to go. And here's the point that these two illustrations are making in verse 5. James says, so also the tongue is a, is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Right? Like a bit on the, on the horse or the rather on the sheep. The tongue is a very, very small member of the body, but it boasts of great things. Uh, though James is not specific, he does not explain specifically what he means by boast, we, we can reasonably see that he has in mind people's inclination to boast. Right? People's inclination to be self-centered, to be self-serving, to, 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 to speak greatly about themselves. And at the same time, to undermine other people. Though it is small, it can cause great harm. Though the tongue is a small member, it can cause great harm. It can tear down others. It destroys friendships, churches, marriages, families. And we need to, in other words, when we come to notice this, when we come to recognize this, we, we need to, to, to take care what we say, not only what we say, but also how we say it. John MacArthur wisely suggests that we should speak only gracious words, kind words, words that build up rather than tear down, words that edify, that comfort, that bless and encourage. They should be words of humility, of gratitude, peace, holiness, and wisdom. Such words, he says, of course, can only come from a heart that not only is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, but is also wholly submitted to his control. He goes on to show the destructive power of the tongue by liking it by liking likening it to, to fire in verses five to six. He says he says this, he says, um, how great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. A great forest is set ablaze by a small fire. You see, for fire to spread in the forest, it does not need petrol, it does not need paraffin, right? Just a small spark can set the whole forest ablaze, resulting in loss of animals, loss of property, and loss of even human life. Think about our country is very uh, um, aware of such um, incidences, right? You think about Neisner, you think about Kailicha, you think about uh, Alexander, how a, a small fire can spread and destroy everything in its path. 
words are also like a spark of fire. One word uttered carelessly can cause great damage. People to, today carry great burdens of, of words that were said to them when they were young, words that were said to them by their parents, by uh, people in their lives. They were told they will not amount to anything. They were told that they are nothing. People have left church because they, they, they were pierced with, with words that were said to them without love and without grace. Marriages are torn apart. Marriages are sour. Husbands will, 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 will work the night shift even if they don't really have to because they don't want to go home to a marriage that is sour. Friends have stopped talking because of words that were spoken in the heat of the moment. A small spark causing a big destructive flame. Notice how he characterizes the tongue. He says the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. The, 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 the tongue has a, has a capacity for evil like nothing else. It, it gossips. It speaks evil of, of people. It entices. It deceives. It belittles. It undermines. He says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the whole body, setting on fire the, the, the course of life, and set on fire by hell itself. Notice what he says. Uh, um, th 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 this is the point that he's driving on. That the, the, the fire is like a fire. It's, it, it's like, I mean, the tongue is like a fire that destroys. But if it continues to be like that, and it's not transformed by the gospel, it will itself be, 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 be destroyed by fire. You see that? It says, at the, at the end, he says, set on fire by hell. It is like a fire that destroys. If it is never transformed, it will be set on fire by hell. As if things are not already worse, James goes on to show how uncontrollable the tongue is in verse 7 and verse 8. Look at what he says. He says, For every, every kind of beast and bird or reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. If you've been at a circus or, or seen it on, on, tele, on television, you'll, you'll notice how, how people have the ability to tame elephants. You know, snakes and, and, and lions and make them do what they want them to do. Make them perform. You know, even sea creatures. It's amazing how, how, how sea creatures like dolphins can be tamed. See, uh, you know, sea lions can be tamed and, and made to do tricks and acts that, that are amazing. We are able to teach dogs how to sit and fetch we are able to teach elephants how to stand on two feet. Able to teach lions how to jump and how to jump through hoops. Uh, these things we are able to do. But James says, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This is also true of believers. 
John MacArthur says that the tongue can slip out of its sanctified cage. I like, I like that statement. It, it can slip out of its sanctified cage and do great harm. So it is important that we should pray with David in Psalm 141 verse 3 when he said to, to the Lord, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because he recognizes how his words and how his mouth can cause great damage. He recognizes that his tongue can slip out of a sanctified cage. So he doesn't say, you know, I'm, for me, I'm just a truth talker. I say it like it is, eh? He doesn't say that. As Christians, we don't just say it like it is. We say it with love. Right? We speak the truth with love. We, 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 speak, we speak the truth with compassion. We are not people who say it like it is. Yes, we, we stand for the truth and we speak the truth. But the truth must be accompanied by love, gentleness. We don't just speak like people in a bar. We speak like people who are sanctified. So, James, show us, first of all, that we, we, we should recognize, um, firstly, uh, we should recognize the importance of, of words, and secondly, we should recognize the power of the tongue, and thirdly, and lastly, we should recognize the inconsistency of the tongue, the inconsistency of the tongue, verses 9 to verse 12, the inconsistency of the tongue. Uh, look at what he says here. He, he deals with the issue of hypocrisy displayed by the tongue. The call that James makes here is of a life of consistency. He says with the tongue, he says, With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Here is a classic display of hypocrisy and deceit. On one hand, we use our tongues to bless our Lord and Father. We sing of his grace and his love. We, we declare his compassion and kindness with our mouth. We say with David in First Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. We sing hallelujah. We sing about speak, O Lord. We, we sing about bind us together. We sing all these songs. And on the other hand, we turn and curse people with the very same tongue. We turn and undermine people and say things uh, uh, to, to people or about people. We gossip about people. We go back to our homes and, and start talking about, did you see that person? Did you see what they did? We, we, we start to curse people with our tongue. And, and, and James does something that is very interesting here. He says we curse people that are made in the image of God. This shows a, 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 a misunderstanding of a basic revelation of God's word. Namely, people are made in the image of God. James says we cast people who are made in the image of God. Meaning, meaning when you speak evil, when you revile, when you call people names, when you undermine and look down upon people in a way you speak about people, you are speaking against the image of God. 
people are bearers of God's image. And to curse people is to curse the image that they are bearing. Is to curse and the, the one who reflects the, who, whom they reflect, right? Uh, just maybe to, to make a quick comment on that. The dignity of people is not in what they have in their pockets. The dignity of people lies in the very fact that they are the imago Dei. They are bearers of God's image. That's what gives people dignity. In other words, the person on the street begging and the person in the office as a CEO are both made in the image of God and they both have same dignity. And the Christian must see it that way. That's why James says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. What you're doing is not right. This is the kind of conduct that is not characteristics of, characteristic of those who believe in Jesus Christ. People who believe in Jesus Christ don't act like this. It's a conduct out of step with Christians. He, he, he wisely, in, in order to show how this is out of step with, with, with the, the, the Christian life, he wisely turns to the natural world to show us the foolishness of an inconsistent life. Listen to what he says. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Can a salt pond yield fresh water? Naturally, we expect that when you go to a spring, you'll find fresh water, right? When you go to, to, to a grapevine, you'll find grapes. When you go to a fig tree, you'll find figs. Now, in the event that you go to a spring and you find salt water, and you go to a fig tree and you find grapes, and you go to a grapevine and you find figs, uh, and, and uh, you go to a salt pond and you find fresh water, something in your mind will naturally raise an objective and say, something is not right here. Huh? There is something wrong. And that is the point that James wants to make about Christians. When you go to a Christian, when you go to a Christian, the logical expectation is that you'll find fruits that are in step with what makes a Christian Christian. Right? You'll find a person who, according to chapter 1, is in submission to the whole revelation of God's word as documented in the Bible. As we heard last week, a person who is like a newborn infant longing for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. Not, not only that. Not only that, but a person who is marked by controlled speech. A person who is marked by compassion for others and a, and a pursuit of purity. Now, in the event that you go to a Christian and you find a person whose speech wounds and in, in, instead of healing, you would realize that something is wrong here. Uh, something is not right. The, the sign says Christian, but the content says no. Right? Now, I wanted, I, I thought there was a glass here. But anyways, Listen. If I take a, a, a sticker from a Coke bottle, right, and remove that sticker and paste it on a bottle full of poison and put the Coke sticker on a bo bottle full of poison, what do I have? A bottle full of poison, right? 
It, it doesn't matter what the sticker says. It doesn't matter what the label says, right? It is still poison. This is the same with other with Christians. It is just the sticker on them. It is just the label, but the content is poison. What kind of Christian are you? Are you a Christian, just culturally Christian? Are you a Christian, you stick, you, you just tick uh, on your schedule that I attended church? Are you a Christian because you're transformed by the gospel? Right? Is it a sticker? Outside, that is just a display. It's just a, it's just a, a, a what do you call it? a screensaver, right? But the content is poison. The content is not what matches the sticker. What does your label say? Is your label matching your content? That's what many, many people are. They are only label, but the content contradicts the label. And one sure way of telling is how they habitually use their speech. Let me conclude by saying this. Often when people say things that are un unwholesome, people say they have a dirty mouth, right? Say, no, you have a dirty mouth. I honestly think that's a wrong diagnosis. I think that's a wrong diagnosis. They don't have a dirty mouth. And because we give a, a wrong diagnosis, we also give a wrong remedy. Right? We say, you have a dirty mouth, so stop saying things that are dirty, and you will not have a dirty mouth. But that's not true. The problem is not the dirty mouth. The problem is the dirty heart. The mouth is the ambassador of the heart. The mouth represents what is in the heart. It shows you who that person is, truly is. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12 verse 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is the representative of the heart. And this of course does not mean that Christians do not slip up with their tongue. It does not mean that the Christian's tongue does not leave its sanctified cage. There are times when we say things unwisely and without thought. But the difference is not, it's, it's in the fact that it's not a habitual character issue. Right? And let me say this. When, when you say things that wound people, it is not enough to go to God and repent. It is not enough to go to God and repent. You have to go humbly to those people and ask for forgiveness. Saying I'm sorry, brothers and sisters, goes a long way. In, in fact, it, 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 this is offering one another gospel grace. It, it shows us that we are daily dependent on and are being daily transformed by the gospel. It, it's a display of the fact that we are under submission to God's word. That the gospel is the life of, of, of this community. And now, to the character issue... The gospel calls for a total transformation expressed in repentance and faith. Uh, turning away from a life dishonoring in God's sight and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That his death for sin on the cross, his burial and his resurrection on the third day is enough to bring newness of life. You see, 
a lot of times we have we have a, a, a misunderstanding of the gospel. We think and the gospel is an addition to to my life, right? That the gospel is not an upgrade that adds something new into your life that you lacked. The gospel is a total transformation. Contrary to the popular belief that Christ wants to come into your heart, the Bible shows us that Christ wants to change your heart. He wants to give you a new heart. He wants to remove the heart of stone, a heart that is in rebellion against him and put a heart of flesh, a heart that responds to him. He, he wants to remove a heart of filled with wickedness and filled with, with, with war with him and, and his people and put a new heart that responds to him, a heart that seeks to worship him, a heart that truly loves him and his people. The gospel deals with the root before it deals with the fruit. The gospel is not behavioral alteration. It does not come to alter our behavior. It comes to change our hearts. It comes to change our lives from the inside out. It comes to, to change the roots. When fruits are, are bad and are, are going bad, the problem is not the fruit itself. The problem is the root. That's what God does. For our tongue to be tamed, we need to believe the gospel. We need to apply the gospel daily in our lives. Amen. Lord, thank you that we can learn from you. You spoke from the beginning words of kindness, words of love, words of compassion, words of grace. And may we be marked by as a people who seek to display that to one another. As a people who seek to display encouragement and, and love and grace and compassion. We realize how our tongues uh, can be weapons that wound rather than um, a balm of Gilead that heals. Just we pray Lord, that you help us to honor you and glorify you, even in our tongues. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.